Welcome to episode 66 of the Fancy Alarm Baseball Podcast. Kicking off the rust and getting back in the swing of things with spring training games littering the landscape and injuries kind of booming up around. We'll do a quick recap of those things. But first, let's bring in our man, Matt Sells, at the Salesman on the Twitter machine. Matt, how's things going? I heard it was 70 degrees in Nebraska today, so you're living large. It was 70 degrees in Nebraska. Um, the last time we did one of these podcasts, I think it was 40 below zero. So we're dealing with some wild temperature changes here. Um, about 110 degrees difference in the last three weeks. So that's that's always great. Uh, but no, it's been awesome. Spring training's been going on for basically like a week and a half at this point. Um, so it's been pretty pretty awesome watching live baseball. There's fans in the stands, which is nice. Um, and actually getting to judge these guys on what we're seeing on the field. It's not taking wild stabs at what we think we're going to get for a half a season. So that's, that's always nice when we're setting up for fantasy baseball season. It is. And people are starting to really get into, uh, obviously draft prep. Hopefully they've taken a look at all the great work on the, on, on the fantasy alarm draft guide that is still available. Uh, I believe they're still running that 40% discount on there. So if you haven't gotten your copy, please do so ASAP. Get the cheat sheet, all of the other things, player profiles. Uh, I just recorded a uh, video argument tonight with Dan Malin about Craig Kimbrell. I know you've and got I a did player one, debate or two coming up. Yeah, yeah, I did one last night with Dan as well about Ozzy Albies. So, uh, was was Dan got... anti again? Uh, no, he was pro-Albies and I was anti-Albies. Oh. Interesting, so, interesting. Um, it, pretty interesting arguments there. Um, so we'll be rolling more of those out, um, you know, this week and in the coming weeks, and those will be fun. Uh, pairing two analysts against each other on opposite sides of a player. So that I'm should be a fun new twist. I'm, say I'm looking forward to uh, Howard Bender facing off against uh, the number one fan in the world, the Byron Buxton, Colby Conway. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, there was a there was a uh, pretty long line for people signing up to be anti uh, Byron Buxton. There's only one guy crazy enough to take the pro side of Byron Buxton. <laughs> God bless cool. you. If God bless you if you're listening, Colby. All right, let's get into some of the stuff here today. Uh, just a couple of injury updates, but uh, big ones in the reliever world. The Yankees will lose Zach Britton for about a month. Uh, going undergoing, he's going to undergo an elbow procedure. Uh, you know, the Yankees depth in the starting rotation has already been noted, but losing an arm like that in the bullpen, at least it's early rather than late. Um, but now you're pushing up Chad Green and Darren O'Day and Justin Wilson uh, into more higher leverage innings. So I'm curious to see how all that will shake out. Uh, also, uh, Jonathan Hernandez has a uh, sprain of his UCL, so he's going to be sat down for about a month there in Texas. Another bullpen that could not afford to lose a lot of uh, depth in it. Uh, this, you know, it, it, it's weird when I read all these things, but when I keep seeing that Ian Kennedy right now is the backup to Jose Leclerc, I guess he has a pretty long leash, correct? Uh, yeah, I would assume so. I mean, Ian Kennedy wasn't that uh, spectacular with the Royals. So well, supposedly he had a bad calf last year. Here's the deal. He's. He's got ties with strong ties with being a former teammate of Chris Young. So hence him arriving there. And we saw how that worked out for Trevor Rosenthal pitching for his old 
coach and Mike Matheny last year, riding that into a nice contract with Oakland. So uh, he's supposed to be throwing soon with that strain growing. So Rosenthal owner is going to take a deep sigh of relief and we'll keep moving forward. So we are seeing spring results and it's been wonderful. And I hope you're following along with the spring training updates daily. Uh, I'm taking the hitter side. Colby's been doing the pitching side. I usually try and take at least five players or topics a day to explore. Uh, I will have more obviously tomorrow morning. I try and look at uh, lineup spots, player position battles and who's doing what. So uh, one name that keeps jumping off the page lately is Joey Gallo hit his fifth home run this afternoon of the spring. Uh, apparently, you know, surgery, some tweaks and all of his approaches is, is this year Gallo hits 50 home runs and 250 or better. Uh, 50 seems like a long shot, especially with, you know, we saw how that park played in the, in the playoffs last season. I mean, I know it's a small sample size, but you had some pretty potent offenses playing in that park and it wasn't exactly a Homer friendly park. Um, and now they're also deadening the baseball this year after saying it wasn't juiced the last couple of years. Well, they're deadening it. So I guess it was juiced, right? Um, I think 40 is reasonable for Gallo. Um, over or under? Over 40 I'll, or under? I'm going to say he gets to like 42 or 43. All right, so you're taking over. We'll yeah. be more realistic with the batting average. Over under 230. Over 230. Hmm. 240? I'm going to go over 240, too. And you told me to take Solaire. I thought we were friends, Matt. Well, okay, but Solaire still has a better batting average. And keep in mind that in, what, 2019, the man hit 48 home runs? Yeah, and uh, he, he played through a strained oblique last year. I get right. It. So the, the power is there. He or he has an arguably well, not arguably. It is a better lineup around him in Kansas City than in Texas, and it's a better hitter park. Uh, it it is a better. I, I'm going to take a little segue here and zig from the list here. All right, I, I love Bobby Witt Jr. Is he going to play at second base at some point this year? I don't think so. I don't think the Royals' plan is to start the clock on him just yet. They know what he can do. Obviously, they took him that high in the draft is what number two overall pick. Um, He's hitting leadoff the last three games in a row. Yeah, I mean, I think they want to see what the lineup – he's a future leadoff guy. That's what he's going to be for them. And obviously, Nicky Lopez hasn't been anything special at second base. But this is not the year they're going to compete um, – in the AL Central, I think they're biding their time for one more year and get the rest of their pitching prospects up um, with, you know, you've got Asa Lacey, Daniel Lynch are still coming. You've got some other bats coming up too. Um, you know, some a couple outfield guys coming up. So I think they bide their time. I think if there had been a minor league season last year, then yes, Bobby Witt Jr. probably would be at second base for the Royals this year. But the loss of a minor league season last year, I think delays him a year. What if there's an injury to Alberto? I think that's why they have Nicky Lopez. They can move Whit oh. Merrifield. They can move Whit Merrifield to second base. I mean, he was previously their second baseman. All right, well... Um, Wait, wait, Try to wait pull to pour Stockis and move Hunter Dozier to second base. Say, wait, wait to pour cold water on me here. So that's fine. 
Let's I mean, he's a talented his... guy, and I love Bobby Witt Jr., and he's going to be an absolute stud when he comes up hitting leadoff um, with pop and and speed. Um, but I just don't think it's 2021 for him. I think it's 2022. Okay. Uh, I went off the rails a little bit. The intro to this was supposed to discuss, and, and, and we're, we've both been going through a draft process. Are you more focused, and you mentioned the dead and ball, um, and Blake Snell had a quote today saying that the seams are higher and it feels different than last year. Um, are you more focused in your drafts on home runs, stolen bases, or are you still trying to stay balanced? Because I found myself gravitating more towards power in the TGFBI. I went against the grain in two ways. I didn't go heavy on starting pitching early, and I went for more home runs rather than stolen bases, thinking that that might zig from what a lot of the crowd's doing. So I, I personally, when I'm building my teams, I like to stay as balanced as I can. Obviously, it's hard to do because there's less and less 2020 or 2015 guys. I mean, this year, if you look at most projections, I think there's only, what, a max of like 10 2020 guys? This year, I think across most, um, if you aggregate projections out, I think it comes to about 20 or 10 guys that are going to be 2020. Um, so obviously, if you're in a 15-team league like TGFBI is, you're really only going to stand a chance of getting one of those guys probably. Um, so I'm not saying you got to go 2020 guys, but I like guys that give a little bit of speed. You know, I'll take a handful of steals and 25 homers from a guy. Out of, you know, over a guy um, that just gives straight power, right? Um, Because I feel like the problem I've had in the past is if I focus on, okay, these guys are getting me batting average. These guys are getting me homers. These guys are getting me steals. Well, if one or two of the guys you've targeted for that role don't do what you expect them to do, then that entire category is sunk because you've relied on those guys to get you those stats. So I like to kind of get guys that if I sprinkle steals around, like on my team, I've got um, a few different guys that are supposed to get about, you know, 15 to 20 steals. Um, Started off with Fernando Tatis Jr. picking second. So thank you very much for giving me Tatis Jr., Um, and then, you know, it it moved on from there. So I feel like if I get guys who are each supposed to hit about 25, 20 to 25 to 30 home runs, and then get, you know, let's say five to 15 steals. If one of those guys gets goes down, it's not a huge hit to my categories across the board. So I try to build, uh, balanced rosters. Um, and I think the home run totals are going to come down a little bit this year because they're deadening the ball. We're also going to get healthier pitchers um, this year compared to last year. And bullpens are getting tougher to hit home runs off of at this point. So I think home run totals are going to come down a little bit, mm-hmm. which means less of a pure focus has to be on power. And the other thing is when everybody's hitting 20 home runs, power becomes less of an important thing to really have to stack up on. Interesting. All right. Well, I understand. I appreciate it. The one 
The one pick I really wish I had back in that was in the ninth round. I was going to take Victor Robles, and I went with Fran Valdez, and obviously we all know how that one worked out, but it is what it is. I know we were critical of Robles on a previous podcast, but I like everything I've seen this spring. Uh, he's already stolen three bases, hit a home run today, I believe. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think this could be one of those post-hype deals where he finally is the person that we wanted him to be two years ago, but people are forgetting about it because they got burned. Um, another guy that I think is flying a little bit below the radar is Matt Chapman. He hit a home run today. Uh, I think he's homered in back-to-back games now this spring. He made a terrific diving play. Uh, bounced right up and threw a guy out. So I'm thinking that hip's looking healthy. Has uh, has the market not adjusted to how we should be treating Matt Chapman? Yeah, I think I think people are still sleeping on Chapman. I think they see the poor batting average he had mm-hmm. um, last year and are just saying, well, he kind of, you know, 2019 was kind of a uh, – blip and 2020 is more well no you just got to basically ignore 2020 for most guys at this point because either they had a really great year because they get hot when the temps get warmer or they were just locked in for whatever reason for a short stretch or they were just so thrown off in their schedules and whatever that they had a bad year which happened to a lot of people um or they were playing through an injury or whatever it was so I don't think the market has corrected enough for Matt Chapman. Um, It's crazy to see where his ADP is considering the value he brings. Because if he's right, he's easily a top five third baseman. Like, batting average, power, counting stats, you know, the only thing you're really missing there is is speed, but you don't really count on your third baseman for that. Um, The park is good. The offense around him is good. So if he's right, he could have a really good year. Um, and so he's he's a steal right now um, in his value. But let me circle back to Victor Robles a second because mm-hmm. everybody continues to give him crap about his 2019 season. Um, and, like, it wasn't all that great. Well, the only thing that was slightly disappointing was his 255 batting average, right? That's not... You want him to hit higher, but he had 17 homers and 28 steals in 155 games. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know exactly what else anybody else wanted from him. That's almost a 20-30 guy. Um, and, yeah, if he gets back to – it'll be interesting to see if he does that again this year and if people are celebrating that compared to what happened in 2019. When I, re- I completely remember – that by the time it hit June, people were in FA chat getting ready to abandon Victor Robles. And I'm like, well, why are you abandoning him? The guy's on this pace. Like, what Like, what are you going to pick up on the waiver wire that's going to get you potentially 15 and 25 or 20 and 30? The hot like, player of the week. Like, Somebody right. had three home runs over the weekend. I got to have him. Right, but who, who the heck was <laughs> It doesn't matter who it was. There was a Brave that hit, like, six bombs in, like, eight games, and that was, like, that doubled his career total in home runs, and everybody was going nuts for him. I'm like, you're going to get a guy who literally just doubled his career total in home runs over a guy who's on pace for more homers and more steals and a better batting average than that. Like, so, um, it's just interesting how people kind of read Victor Robles. Obviously, he didn't have a great 
uh, offseason with that unflattering picture coming out, uh, or video, I should say, uh, uh, where he just did not look very good. He didn't, but he's looks spry. No, oh, he eye. looks a whole lot better in spring training right now. <laughs> he and he looks, looks confident. Great. That's, you know, I know you can't judge that with your eyes, but he seems more confident and, like, and settled in. there's a in. reasonable chance that he actually hits second in the lineup this year. If I'm Davey Martinez, I'm going to bat Victor Robles second. Interesting. Well, I would bat. I would bat Trey Turner leadoff. Robles second, Soto third, Schwarber or Bell fourth, and the other one fifth. Yeah, that's it's a sneaky lineup. But with that. the the and Nationals are all in ninth. this year. Please, dear God, Davey Martinez, bat Keyboom ninth. Don't bat him eighth. Please bat the pitcher eighth and key boom ninth so he actually gets pitches to hit. And can use his wheels a little bit. Um, one other thing as we're looking at these spring results, I know we see some guys are just on a heater and some guys are still, we want to see who's stealing bases. That's actually a good thing to watch. Um, I pay close attention to uh, strikeouts versus walks. Um, we've already had a slow start by Keston Hira. He's got, he's got five strikeouts, only one walk so far in his small sample this spring. Uh, that's something we really wanted him to improve on. Um, as far as pitchers go, are you? I'm looking at the same stuff. I'm not so much worried about ERA as I am the strikeout-to-walk ratio, uh, and we're trying to pay attention to uh, velocity readings. You know, veterans take a little longer to heat up. Uh, the young guys are already flashing stuff, but um, th- those are key things for me. Are, are you on the same page with those? Yeah, I am. Because the so the ERA is completely defense dependent and in most of these spring training games by the time the guys you want to look at are you know into their second inning or if they didn't start the game let's say a starter didn't start the game but he came in in the third or fourth inning he might have a triple a squad behind him because they're just trying to get those guys game action well that ain't going to help your defense so zra may not be what it would typically be uh it basically is useless to look at in the spring but Strike out the walk ratio, that's something that the pitcher can control depending on the umpire behind home plate. Uh, as the Cardinals broadcast has pointed out a couple of different times, there's some Angel Hernandez is already in midseason form, missed a strike dead down the middle, called it a ball, and their broadcasting was like, well, he's in midseason form. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm looking especially for guys that we saw dips in velocity for um, last year, right? Like Patrick Corbin's a guy. We saw his velocity dip uh, last year. It wasn't quite where it used to be. The stuff wasn't quite as crisp. So I'm watching him see what his control looks like, see what the velo looks like. So far, it's looked pretty good. Um, he's another supposed, guy, I, I read he's bringing back another pitch, too. Yeah, he's trying to work on a new uh, pitch. That's the other thing, is that you kind of want to see what these guys are working on um, in terms of new pitches that they're bringing in. Who? um, I think Marcus Stroman is working on a new pitch. Yeah, knuckle curve, and then Chris Paddock is... Chris Paddock was using the Rapsado machine in the offseason to get his fastball back, so... Uh, it's good to see guys being proactive and, and make some of these adjustments. Um, I have one other question before we move into some of the TGFBI and draft strategy talk. Uh, 
I, I personally am looking at relievers like uh, Freddie Peralta and Alex Reyes was just announced that he's going to be a reliever this year. Um, TJ Antone, these guys that are that are going to slot in to be piggyback arms that can vulture wins, uh, give you strikeouts and hopefully protect your ratios. I mean, obviously no one's perfect, but um, they should be able to keep your ERA and whips down while giving you strikeouts and, and giving you some good innings. Are guys like this just as, if not more valuable than some of these guys in a six-man rotation? Because a six-man rotation, if we look at, like, say, the Mariners, I remember Marco Gonzalez, he got his first two-start week in week 10 last year, which was the last season, the last week of the regular season. So otherwise, nine straight weeks, he only gets one start. So if he goes five and two-thirds innings and – Antone or Reyes or these other guys, if they work six innings in a week, I'm actually getting more production. Or, I mean, I don't know that it's going to do that every week of the season. However, with the with the control things of the ratio stuff, that's that's kind of uh, my thought process in a lot of these early drafts. Yeah, I would agree. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was just doing some quick math in my head uh, while you were talking there, and if you think about like. Let's say Marco Gonzalez is in a five-man rotation and he makes 30 starts. And he goes, let's just say for round numbers, six innings to start. I don't think that's going to happen, but let's just say it's six innings to start. That's 180 innings over 30 starts, right? In a six-man rotation, you're down to 24 or 25 starts instead of 30. Mm -hmm. So if it's 24 or 25 starts, you're losing like 30 to 36 innings from him, he's down to, like, the mid-140s, right? With an okay ERA for a starter. But if you're getting, let's say, 100 innings from an Alex Reyes or a Freddie Peralta and their ERA is, let's say, in the three twos and the whip is just over one and they're putting up basically the same strikeout totals, yeah, it's going to be way more valuable to have Reyes or Peralta plus they can vault your wins because as soon as the starter comes out, anybody can get a win. As long mm-hmm. as the team is leading, when that pitcher leaves, they're going to get counted for a win. Whereas a guy like Marco Gonzalez or any of the basically scrub pitchers for the Tigers at this point, uh, they'd need to pitch five, have a win or have a lead and then have the bullpen hold it. So yeah, I, once you get past like the top three starters for Teams like that, or most teams actually, I'm starting to look at high volume relievers for ratio help. And, you know, especially in a league where you have like K percentage or K per nine, mm-hmm. as opposed to true strikeouts, relievers can really boost those for you. Yeah, I'm waiting for the format of the, the Towel Wars head to head, but uh, that might be one of the market inefficiencies that I really backfill my pitchers with. You know, I, you know, I, I'm still waiting, but if it's a something where there's a K minus BB or anything of like that involved, uh, I, I might just get an anchor or two, get a, get like two or three of those guys and then get some high end closers. Cause that, and I had the head league, you manage those ratio stats and you can rack up some cheap strikeouts. Uh, you, you can put yourself in a good position on that pitching side each week, especially if you're winning saves. So that's, right. that's something and, and- that. Yeah, in a categories or a points league, it's absolutely the way to go because your starter is going to get tops one start a week, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in a six-man rotation. 
Yeah. Whereas in some weeks they might get none. You get a you get a five game week. Right, you know, especially they, early in the season where it usually takes teams a good couple of weeks to get past their starting their their third starter because there's so many off days to start the season generally that teams can shift their pitchers around to only really use three starters. So if that's the case, your starters got one shot at a win and one shot at strikeouts and one shot to help or hurt your ratios. Whereas a reliever like an Alex Reyes or a Freddie Peralta or a TJ Antone or um, there's going to be a few more and they're going to start coming guys, up um, who will probably pitch three, maybe four times a week, depending on the team they're on. And each of those times, you can still get a win or a save or a hold from them. You're going to get strikeouts. You're going to get ERA and whip help, most likely. Um, so, yeah, in a category or points league, relievers make a lot more sense than getting, like, fourth and fifth starters. Absolutely. All right, let's get into a little TGFBI. We both are participants in it. Um a great thing run by Justin Mason. We raised a bunch of money for mental health awareness and other things going on. Uh, it's good to see the writing community come together. Um, the only bad part is is listening to how every person's going to win it on Twitter. But um, I keep things a little closer to the vest. I'm not going down that that avenue. However, um, just any uh, draft thoughts or observations you had from your league? I'm just curious if uh, yours might have been a little different than mine. Were there any guys that kind of went earlier than you thought they would or should? And on the com- on the opposite side, any guys who uh, kind of drifted in value that kind of surprised you as well? Um. So there was a couple of guys who were sliding a little bit in my league um, that I noticed, and I don't know exactly why uh, they slipped. Um, one guy I was happy to get at the beginning of the third round is DJ LeMahieu in a 15-team league. I didn't think he was going to last that long, uh, especially with his high average and um, you know run production leading off for the Yankees. Um I was pretty excited to get to be able to get Ian Anderson and Zach Grinky in the sixth and seventh rounds. Um, those are two pretty solid starting pitchers. Again, pretty reasonably deep into a fifteen teamer. Um, but starting pitchers did go pretty early to the point where Brandon Woodruff was in the middle of the second round in my league. Um, there were four starters that went in the first round: Degrom, Cole, Bieber, and Bueller. And then there was Nola, Castillo, Trevor Bauer, Giolito, Darvish, Woodruff, Scherzer, Gallen, and then my Jack Flaherty in the second round. So it was pretty clear that everybody was looking for the anchor for their pitching staff pretty early in this draft. Um, and we, and we, had th- we had 13 of the first 30 picks were pitchers. And I'm also kind of surprised it took a little bit to get going on the catchers. Even though it's a two-catcher league, um, Rio Muto did last until the middle of the fourth round um, in my league. And then the next catcher was Perez in the seventh and then Will Smith in the eighth. But then it was another couple of rounds before anybody took guys like Wilson Contreras and Grandall and Darno. Um, uh, mine was the exact same way. I think catchers are getting pushed down. Yeah, I mean, I just took Alejandro Kirk as my second catcher in the 23rd round. So, granted, he's not a guaranteed starting catcher. I think he'll actually outperform Danny Jansen. 
But I also didn't take Austin Nola as who's my starting, you know, my my first catcher until the fifteenth round. So I think they are getting uh and and one guy, uh team three in my league, we're in the twenty seventh round and he's got one catcher. He hasn't even taken a second catcher yet. So it's kind of interesting to watch um catchers kind of disintegrate in value. If you get to a point, I think you just let it go. I mean, if you're punting that spot, you're just going to take. Yeah. You're you're going to take like Lewis Torrens and your last pick. Yeah, probably at this point, because guys like Kurt Suzuki just went off the board with the last pick in the in, you know, pick 10 in the 27th round. So give, give um, me a thought on this one. I took Omar Narvaez in the 27th round as my second catcher. I mean, I know he wasn't very good last year, but I think his second year in that ballpark, all I need him to do is hit 250 and double-digit home runs, and I'll be very happy. Yeah, he went in round 24 in my league, so that's three rounds of value over my league. Um, That's a pretty nice get. I was kind of looking at him um, a little bit for my second catcher. Um, Especially because I took Gary Sanchez, so anyone that can help batting average a little bit i know 250 is not great but narvaez did hit much higher than that previously in his career so it sounds crazy but i really do believe in the gary sanchez bounce back this year i don't think he'll hit for high average but i I think he's gonna i think the home runs are gonna come I, i i think he's finally he cratered so much last year and not playing in the playoffs has made him motivated uh, for this season, so I'm sure Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf are smiling. And by the way, let's take a little moment and congratulate Rick on his uh, awesome FSWA award he received this evening. That's that's huge kudos to him, and you know, just icing on the on the cake for for uh, such a gentleman in our industry. So um, awesome stuff there! Another another crown jewel for the Fancy Alarm family. Seeing that happen, um, any any other stuff like. Again, I, I got caught yeah. on the wrong end of a couple of runs. Um, I hate picking third. I just realized this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm it, close to you. I'm picking second. So um, it's like and I set my cue and it just goes boop, boop, boop on the whole way out and back. Yeah, the guy who picked third in uh, our league picked, I think, the same guy as you in Juan Soto at third overall. That was so so torn because you know what i really like taking trey turner around pick six because then i'm not chasing stolen bases that's where he went in our league is is the sixth pick so in my next uh nfbc draft i'm probably i might put six as my first pick in the in the old uh kds yeah i mean i didn't necessarily mess with it that much because i was comfortable picking basically anywhere i was gonna pick um I think I did pretty well for picking second. Um, I was kind of surprised how early closers went. Um, so I took Brad Hand in round nine. And after that, that he was basically at that point the last... I don't even know if I want to say bona fide closer, but like the last guy who Majority had a definitive closer. role. Yeah. Um, and it was like the second pick in round nine, which I feel like is a little early to be cleaning, to be completely cleaning out closers. Um, 
I did take some guys who may or may not get some saves later, um, like um, Stephon Crichton for Arizona and then Diego Castillo for the Rays. Um, but for bona fide closers to be basically cleared out by the beginning of round nine, I thought was a little early. Um, did you kind of go in with a plan and were you able to stay with it or do you take more of a, I, I like to be fluid in these things and let the room come to me. Yeah. I mean, I had a plan. I knew I was picking second, so it was either going to be Tatis or Acuna, whoever fell to me. So the guy picking first, it, let's say taking Soto first, which we've seen actually Soto go first, I think more went first more often than Acuna did, I think. Um, which was kind of interesting. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get one of those two guys, and then after that, we'll just see how the runs go. Um, and then that run of starting pitchers happened in the second round. I was like, okay, I I don't know that I necessarily need a, another, a second bona fide bat here because I'm also picking two picks later to start the third round. So let me go ahead and take Jack Flaherty because if he wasn't, if I didn't take him, he was almost assuredly going to go um, the team to the to the team one to close out the second round. And I was like, okay, I need one of the my top ten starters on the board. So took Flaherty, and then after that, um, to be completely honest, um, I was between yeah, I was between um, Lemayhew and Albies at that spot. Um, and I went LeMayhew simply because I think his batting average is going to be about 30 points higher than Albies. Power is going to be basically the same, if not more, in favor of LeMayhew. Runs and RBIs are about the same. So I'm going to lose a little bit with steals, but I had Tatis, and I knew I could find some steals later. So I went with LeMayhew there, and then Albies waited around till the, th- the eighth pick in the third round. So... Uh, after that, it was just going with the flow and basically what I felt, where the value was laying and what positions I could wait on at that point. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Um, I, I'm glad you brought up closers a little bit, and this is what we're going to walk off on here, which is kind of fitting using closers last. Uh, you know, are, are you of the mindset where if in any year more than others that paying for a closer or two early makes more sense especially in maybe a 12 team league where you've got to get about 80 saves to be in the 80th percentile most of the time um or are you are you still comfortable just tossing because there, there are so many picks being wasted in these reserve rounds on a guy who might might get a job down the road so um i, I i'm just curious where your thoughts are on that one so for the last several years in any format, unless it's unless it's a like a head-to-head points where you need saves because saves are worth in most formats like eight points and a win is worth four or six, right? So you need more points from saves. Uh, in like roto formats, uh, in TGFBI and in home leagues, I have essentially if. If I'm not comfortable with the values at closer, I essentially punt it and just try to take a few relievers that I think may wind up getting saves in platoon rolls or down the stretch because in my 
in, in my estimation, closers to me are still essentially one category guys, right? Yeah, they're gonna they're they're gonna help your ERA and WHIP to a degree, but the problem is, if you're in a roto format, their inning workload is so low, it's not actually gonna really boost your ratios that much. The strikeouts are nice, but again, they're only pitching. Um, you know, the elite closer still only pitch, what, 60 innings in a season. So even if they're striking out like, you know, more than a guy per inning, let's say they get up to like 70 or 80 strikeouts. OK, but a middle reliever can get you that as well. And their cost of acquisition is a whole lot lower. So um, I did make the mistake of completely punting saves the last two years in TGFBI and I just couldn't my offense couldn't um make up for that so this year i'm trying you know get one closer that i think is going to hold the role for the whole season and then just fill in with a guy or two that i think is going to become a closer or is at least going to sprinkle in saves but in my estimation you know using i'm trying to see so liam Hendricks went in the fourth round in my league aroldis chapman went in the fifth hater went in the fifth um, you know, to me, that's still pretty early to be, and then Karen check went in the sixth. Um, Karinczak's still, risky. Yeah, he is risky, especially there because there's no guarantee. He is a guaranteed closer. Rizal Iglesias went in the sixth round. Um, so I mean, you know, all like, things what, considered, if if it's just saves, I'd rather have Rizel on the sixth than Karinchak just because what about he's, Edwin Diaz? he's assured. I'm okay with him, too. I'd rather have him than Karinchak as well. Right. So the pitchers I, again, that went in I the love, sixth round. And this, and, this, and this kills me. I love Special K. I, I think he's a talent, but you, ha- you can't ignore his walk rates in the minors, right. and you can't ignore that everybody in the Cleveland organization keeps saying, well, he might be more more valuable to us in in the highest leverage role in game, not not pigeonholed in the ninth inning. The pitching coach has said it, and Tito has said it. So, right, the fact that they haven't come out and said he's our closer means I don't think they're they haven't made up their mind. Which means if you're you're spending a a, a top ninety pick on him, that's that's just beyond risk. Right. So the pitchers that went in the sixth round. Max Freed, Jose Barrios, James Karinchak, Edwin Diaz, Rizel Iglesias, Zach Wheeler, and then I took Ian Anderson to close out the pitchers in that round. I don't see why you would take a closer at that point when you still have guys like that and Granky and, um, I mean, Bramber Valdez obviously has now been injured, but at that point yeah. he was still um, the- on the board. Like, to me, starters of that quality are going to get you strikeouts. They're going to get you wins. They're going to help you with ERA and WHIP, and they're going to get a lot more strikeouts than taking a closer. Who, yes, is going to get you saves, but the ERA and WHIP help is going to be minimal because of the innings that they get, and the strikeouts are capped because of the innings they get. Yeah. All right. What's on tap this week? Where where are we boogie 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 in? Well, NASCAR is in Phoenix this weekend, Um, so um, it should be a pretty interesting race. The championship race was there last year. Isn't Um, Hamlin usually good out there? 
Hamlin has been good there. Chase Elliott was dominant at the championship race last year. Um, Joey Logano has been very good. Martin Truex Jr. Kevin Harvick basically owns the place. Um, Like nine (laughs) of his career wins have come at Phoenix. Um, So we'll have that stuff, you know, rolling out. We're recording this Tuesday night. So damn it. Myself, uh... we'll do a podcast on Wednesday. We'll have content rolling out then. Um, Some baseball stuff will be rolling out in the player debates, um, possibly some updates to draft guide content, uh, coming out and, uh, yeah. And then the following weekend I have my home league draft, so it'll be a 12 hour zoom auction draft. Usually we do it in person in Atlantic city, but obviously due to travel restrictions and COVID stuff and places won't, rent a room to a gathering of 25 people uh we're gonna do it on zoom and then we're all gonna try not to kill each other so (laughs) that should be that should be a fun experience nice well good luck with all that uh i've been doing the spring training hitter updates uh trying to do those daily uh after i get off of this podcast i'm gonna get my uh, tweets and stuff together for uh tomorrow morning to get those posted uh, we're trying to get as many profiles done as we can. I know Jen uh, Piacenti is chipping in with some video ones. Uh, Colby and I will keep cranking a few out, so we'll get as many done as we can. And uh, all the other stuff to wrap up the uh, the draft guide here. So things are coming together. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff coming around on the bend. So make sure you're following Matt at the Salesman uh, on Twitter. Uh, congrats to everything going on. Make sure if you haven't gotten the Fantasy Baseball Guide, you've got your copy or be a fancy alarm member for life. So until next time, we are out.